Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. The basketball season is back, and BetOnline remains your number one spot for basketball and football action this season. Head to the new, updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Use the promo code BLEAV50, B-L-E-A-V-5-0. From basketball, football, baseball, NHL, boxing, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online, where the game starts. Ladies and gentlemen and non-binary peoples alike, you know what that music means. It's time for another amazing, fantabulous episode of Wired Up. This is Wired Up episode 91. Since we're so far into Wired Up, maybe it's time to remind the people here, Wired Up originally stood for Week in Review Plus Extra Discussion. W-I-R-E-D. And now it just kind of devolves into an extra version of the podcast where we just talk about things that happen on Friday and Saturday, especially in chaotic sports months like the month of October. This is now our third October, second with a Wired Up segment. It comes in handy all the time when we want to talk about college football chaos that happens, of which did not happen this weekend, when we want to talk about NBA craziness, which didn't really happen this weekend, even though the season started, but also the New York Knicks are 2-0, and and Dwight Howard tried to fight Anthony Davis, and especially helpful when Major League Baseball in October produces a weekend like it produced this week, so let us roll into this conversation and we'll probably have another few days to cover this before the world series begins but still let's start with the houston astros because the houston astros after going down 2-1 in the series and you heard razor rosenthal come here on wednesday and say roll with the red Sox," feeling better about the red Sox chances than the los angeles or i'm sorry the atlanta braves chances of moving on and in that moment The Boston Red Sox ended up putting together three runs in three games, one run in the final two games of the series. They were no hit by Luis Garcia through five and a third in game six, some of which you'll hear us talk about on our second segment here on the podcast. And the Boston Red Sox lose three consecutive games losing the series against the Astros, which, by the way, was an overachievement for the Boston Red Sox. Like, I think that the curve kind of moved once Boston started winning a bunch of these games, but the fact that they beat Tampa in the first place was an upset that felt like, oh, that's what happens in October baseball. The fact that they went up 2-1 against the Astros, outscoring them 20-1 in a two, I think it was like a 15-inning stretch, that was remarkable and it was the thing that I guess we knew all along the Red Sox were capable of because they'd been a super deep team all season on offense and had done just enough pitching but then Chris Sale did really well and then Chris Sale didn't do really well but regardless the Boston Red Sox still looked pretty good out the gate and then it was the Astros being the Astros and there's a reason I did not waver in my prediction one that the Astros would make the World Series which was more just saying they're the best team in baseball and then over on the slump buster being pinned down for a prediction, but just saying the Astros were the best team in the American League and the favorites to go into the World Series felt a little sacrilege considering that everyone thought Tampa was going to be better than them. People were picking the White Sox to win the series against them and people were picking Boston after game three of that series, but the Astros are the best team in the American League and I think they will be the favorites going into the World Series. And this is where the fun comes into play because now the anarchist Astros are here. This is the disgraced cheaters who make me love the Houston Astros. Because again, if you've read the MVP Machine book and it talks about how the Astros are kind of at the forefront of player improvement through analytics instead of identifying talent in the money ball way, how the Astros were always ahead of how can we use analytics to help make players better, thus we can find value within the margins. 
not only is that team that seems way ahead of the curve remaining ahead of the curve across a different regime and with different players and even with different stars on the team, even still they find their way back to the World Series for the third time in five years, first time that has happened since the 90s New York Yankees, and anytime you can hit something with first time since the 90s New York Yankees, it's always a victory. Of course, that's the American League. San Francisco Giants did it in the... Um, from 2010 to 2014, which kind of made them the early 2000s team of, I guess, the half decade, but then we kind of extended it to the whole decade. But I would like to take the title away from the San Francisco Giants and give it to the Houston Astros as the team of the decade in Major League Baseball. You kind of can split the decade into two halves because Houston makes the ALCS for the first time in 2017. Giants made the playoffs for the last time in 2016 before they went on that four-year hiatus, which came back this year and made the playoffs, which felt like a turning point in baseball. And yet still, in the end, the Astros remain kings of the American League. And I do this thing every year coming into the season where I say, every time I look through the American League, it always comes up Astros and Yankees. Every time. And I don't know why that's the case, but I keep looking around. I'm like, nobody in that con- or in that league can really stick up to the Yankees and Astros. And every year I keep picking Yankees, Astros, Yankees, Astros. And this year was the same thing. I looked up, I'm like, feels like Yankees, Astros again, and maybe Tampa is right there. Because Tampa last year, to get to the World Series, beat the Yankees in five games of a five-game series in the eighth inning of a winner-go-home game and one in seven against the Houston Astros. And so it took going the distance with those teams just to get to the World Series, and it was a surprising team for Tampa to get to the World Series, even though they were the number one seed. Like, Tampa is the weird money ball team that's smarter than everyone else, and their entire team's payroll is less than what Garrett Cole was making. And so every year it feels like Astros-Yankees, Astros-Yankees, and this year Boston was that surprise team, And still in the end, it comes up Astros-Yankees. And it makes me want to love the Astros because the Anarchist team is now going up in the World Series with a chance to win their second title in three, or second title in five years. And by the way, the best team of the bunch didn't even win the World Series in 2019 because they went seven games deep against the Nationals because sometimes that's just going to happen in baseball. You're just going to have weird outcomes. Look at what's happened in the Braves and Dodgers series. I guess the last two years of Braves and Dodgers series, you're just going to have weird results sometimes in baseball. But in the end, the Astros get to be the anarchists. And now I'm rooting desperately for the Astros to win the World Series just to stick it to the baseball morals people and stick it to the baseball tradition people because we don't need to get irrationally angry about the Houston Astros sign stealing scheme. And we don't have to continue to pretend like the Astros deserve to be punished. In order to get the information, the league granted immunity, needed a fall person for public relations management, and so they fired Jeff Lunau and fired A.J. Hinch because baseball wanted those two to be gone. Now, did A.J. Hinch make his way back? Absolutely, A.J. Hinch made his way back with the Detroit Tigers, and yet still, it was... A.J. Hinch should be managing this team, which is, again, not a disrespect to Dusty Baker. Like, A.J. Hinch should be managing the World Series team for the Houston Astros. And this second iteration, this post-scandal iteration of the Astros still being dominant with some of the same key pieces, like obviously Altuve, Correa, uh, Alex Bregman, those guys are still there, but it's Jordan Alvarez winning CS MVP. It's Martin Maldonado. It's rookie Luis Garcia closing it out and Framber Valdez giving them a stud performance in Game 5. It's Kendall Graveman, it's Yimi Garcia, like, it's a different version of the Astros than the one that won in the past. They've been playing Chaz McCormick as a replacement for George Springer this year, and that team is so talented that you can subtract World Series MVP George Springer and still make it to the World Series in the American League, because I didn't even mention Kyle Tucker, who hit the three-run homer that closed out the game and had 30 homers and almost 100 RBIs this year. And even still, Kyle Tucker's like sometimes the eighth guy you mention when you're going down the Astros lineup. And so Houston ends up making it back to the World Series, and now we need them to win it. 
just to anger some tri- some tribalist baseball fans. And I guess there are people here who haven't been here long enough. So here's the reason why I am upset with baseball over the Astros thing. The Astros should not have been punished over the sign-stealing scan- scheme. The technological innovations are not... Are, just make the rules outdated in baseball. You should adjust the rules as a counter to the changes in ways to get ahead. Because forever and ever and ever... As long as you have rules, people are going to try and work within the rules to gain a competitive advantage. And this is what we want in sports. We want people to push the rules and innovate and cheat a little bit. It makes things more interesting. And it's interesting as a thought experiment of how do you outsmart someone in a league that has infinite resources dedicated to finding smart people. And sometimes we want people to push the rules because sometimes rules are wrong. They can be good rules, but sometimes there are bad rules. And we want to push against those bad rules so that we can point out maybe if a rule is outdated or if a rule shouldn't exist, etc., etc. And so the sign-stealing one was one version of that where you should have taken the sign-stealing scandal, moved to like an Apple Watch situation or do what the NFL did where you have headsets in the catcher's head and the pitching coach is calling the game and the catcher and the pitcher both have earpieces in and they can communicate with hand signals after the person says it because if the pitcher and catcher hear an initial sign that no one can decode, it's impossible to figure out whether the yes-no, yes-no mechanisms decide a certain pitch because you don't have the context of the pitch uh, order between what the catcher is throwing down. Now, pitchers could still tip pitches, and that's fair game because pitchers need to learn to not tip their pitches if they don't want their pitches to get stolen. That one is not necessarily an outdated rule, and there's no way to correct that if pitchers are going to tip their pitches. But even still, you can de- you can get, make the sign-stealing part go away is by embracing the technology side and changing the rules around what technology is and isn't allowed to be used, and then give the pitchers and catchers technology as a give and take. Now, is this like a beyond what baseball is willing to move at pace? Absolutely, and that would have to be collectively bargained, and that's going to upset hitters who can't steal signs, and pitchers are going to push back the other way like they did with spider tack. And where when offense explodes and they change the ball, all of a sudden pitchers make less money in free agency. So then they start to manipulate routines and then batters respond and then they ask for baseball interference and baseball governs by public relations. And it's a big mess that creates one product of entertainment. Therefore, we should not have punished the Astros for the sign stealing scandal because we should have taken one. If you grant the players immunity to learn you grant the players immunity. That doesn't mean you have to make a fall guy out of the GM and coach. but even, And Alex Cora and Carlos Beltran, who end up taking L's in that just because they were players back then, but not players anymore. So they weren't granted immunity by Major League Baseball. So even still, the Houston Astros shouldn't have been taken down for that baseball just needed to find a public relations person to fall uh, to appease their fan base in the tough law and order front office of baseball with homogenized fan bases etc etc and so what I found most interesting about that was that it wasn't like they changed the rules they just said we're going to we're going to don't do do it again. We're not going to change the rules around sign stealing it's just uh, other teams don't don't you do it. Don't you try and do it. We've greatest scandal in a hundred years, but don't you dare try it. We're not going to change the rules. We're not going to change the enforcement. Don't you do it. And it's it's idiotic that you want to go in that circle and govern on public relations. And if you really cared about the on-field product in that way, work to evolve the rules. It's the same thing basketball's facing right now. Football faces it all the time, et cetera, et cetera. So long-winded way of saying, I don't think the Astros should have gotten punished. Yes, they cheated, but also they were wronged in the aftermath. Both things can be true at the same time. And since very few people think the same way that I think, I want to make those other people pissed off by having the Houston Astros win because that's my inner anarchist who likes to believe it's me against the world and I would like to adopt that Astros us against the world mentality so we need the anarchist Astros to win the World Series here and uh, they just might do it because I think they're going to be favorites in the World Series even though I refuse to make predictions about how the World Series is going to go because the World Series is unbelievably random small sample size weird context and people don't really know exactly how they're going to respond in said World Series but I like the Astros chances because on paper they are the better team
Which brings us to the Atlanta Braves. Congratulations, Atlanta. You finally did it. You finally get to break the curse, the drought, whatever you want to call it. You guys went up 3-1, and from a total underdog position to start the playoffs, you guys have made it to the World Series. Every year in the playoffs, we have those October heroes in baseball that baseball fans lore about for a decade or so because they're just random people who produce legendary playoff performances. We have a list to keep track of these people, by the way. So we can go back all the way to the OG Daniel Murphy 2015 dominating through the playoffs for the New York Mets. But then you could keep the list on going to 2017 Tony Walters, 2018 Manny Pina for the Milwaukee Brewers, came within one game of the World Series. Brandon Woodruff for the Brewers, he had a home run off of Clayton Kershaw as a pitcher in that 2019 series. Steve Pierce, World Series MVP 2018, deadline acquisition for a player to be named later by the Boston Red Sox. Of course, Randy Arozarena last year, I mean, who could forget that run that he had? That entire Nationals team just had random people pull off these magical comebacks. Daniel Hudson became a star closer all of a sudden. Weird things happen in the playoffs all the time, and this year the Braves' offense gets to be that team with Jock Tober going berserk and Eddie Rosario, who I forgot Eddie Rosario was on the Braves because he was a former twin leadoff hitter. One year I think had 30 homers. Then he signed a one-year meaningless deal with Cleveland. Cleveland traded him while he was injured to the Braves when the Braves totally rebuilt their entire lineup. And he has produced at a higher offensive rate than Ronald Acuna Jr. in the playoffs. Remember, this is a Braves team that last year was up 3-1 on the Dodgers, and I felt like that was their best chance to win. And so I get to be loud, stinking wrong about the Atlanta Braves. I said last year was their best chance. I said it was over when Ronald Acuna got hurt and they were five games behind the Mets, even though they had a plus 100 run differential and the Nets were or the Mets were in the negatives. I said it was over. And Atlanta, you have proved me wrong. This was the best version of your team. This team was the underdog. And this team without expectations, like 2018 when you made the playoffs without expectations. 2019, expectations. 2020, massive expectations. Especially when you went up 3-1 on the Dodgers last year. But this year, with no expectations... The Braves are going to the damn World Series. It's a cool story. It's a baseball story. Are they the most talented team? Hell no, they aren't the most talented team. They're not even more talented than the Dodgers. Obviously, the Dodgers were missing Max Muncy and Justin Turner and Joe Kelly and Max Scherzer and Clayton Kershaw. But still more talented than the Dodgers? Nope. The Atlanta Braves have caught a weird wind of fire with no Ronald Acuna, and they are going to the damn World Series. Are the Astros more talented on paper? Absolutely. Are the Astros going to be favorites? Absolutely. Does any of that matter? Not at all. Hence the fact that the last time we saw the Houston Astros in the World Series with the best version of the Houston Astros teams of the last five years, they lost four home games, four home games to the Washington Nationals. Because that's baseball sometimes. The Braves are that team this year. Carried by the magical postseason heroes that, you know, if I didn't know any better, I think could carry them all the way to a championship. Jocktober and Eddie Rosario. Timely pitching by the three starters who I said at the start of the series was the path for them to beat the Dodgers. Morton, Freed, Anderson. They're going to be clutch against the Astros in the World Series, too. What a fun, fun time to be an Atlanta Braves fan. I was loud wrong, loud wrong about the Atlanta Braves. But bask in the glory, Atlanta, because you guys are slowly but steadily not only shedding your old personality as chokers, but doing it as total underdogs. No pressure, no expectations. Felt like the season was over when Acuna got hurt, and now you're playing with house money in the World 
series. Congratulations, Braves fans, and Atlanta fans as a whole, you tortured son of a guns. You guys deserve this. All right, for our B block here today, y'all remember when we went to MLB All-Star Week this last year and we did our audio vlog, which is just a video blog without video, which I guess is technically a blog, but I like calling it an audio vlog as a play on words. Well, Friday night was opening night for the Sacramento Kings, and although I refused to buy tickets to the game for $70 to watch any Sacramento Kings game, especially one where Mo Harkless was getting significant minutes, we did parade around downtown Sacramento and Old Town Sacramento as well, but paraded through the heart of Sacramento so that you guys could get all the feels of my adopted home up here in Northern California. So without further ado, here is the content that we got out of parading around downtown Sacramento as the Take It Easy podcast takes over NBA opening night for the Sacramento Kings. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or in our case... Good night. Welcome in, everybody. This is our vlog 2.0, but it's not a vlog because there's no video. So it's like an audio vlog. Wonder what they call those things. We are taking over opening night in Sacramento. The Kings are playing the Jazz. First home game of the season. First home game at full capacity in Sacramento since, well, the last time we were in Sacramento. March of 2020. So, I'm super pumped. We don't have tickets to the game, but we're going to go hang out with some Kings fans outside. Hang out at the Downtown Commons, or as I like to call it, the $750 million skate park that the Sacramento Kings and the city of Sacramento built a few years ago that then basically got turned into a skate park during the pandemic. And we're going to have some fun and hang out in downtown Sacramento and create content out of it because we're wearing our Take It Easy merch. You can buy some of that with the link in the description to today's episode. No need to shamelessly plug, but we're going to see how this goes tonight and hang out with some Sacramento Kings fans. So let's roll. So right now we're walking over the Sacramento Bridge. It's big and yellow and kind of looks like a school bus, but it is the crown jewel of architecture out here in beautiful Sacramento, California. I have no idea if any of this content is going to be good or if I'm just giving an audio tour of downtown Sacramento, but we're going to roll with it anyways because content is content here on Wired Up on a Sunday in the middle of October. While the ALCS is going on, by the way, what is the score of the ALCS? Not that this is going to matter, because this is on Friday night, and you'll already know the end result of the series by this point. Still one nothing Astros. That's got to suck for Kike. Still the only run of the game was doinked off of his wrist. That's a rip. I guess I probably should have mentioned that this is game six between the Astros and Red Sox, except, you know, if the Astros win... It's not going to be that much of a shock because there is no Game 7. Yeah, so I guess this is going to be Sacramento Kings preview plus terrible ALCS updates as we uh, pass through the wonderful Sacramento River. Some nice boats. This is great audio content right now. Ooh, we're rolling into downtown Sacramento. And just over the horizon, I can see the beautiful $750 million skate park known as the Golden One Center. Let's watch some terrible Sacramento Kings basketball. One of the cool things that the Kings do, the glass outside the stadium will actually open up so all the noise can pan out of the stadium. So if you're hanging out in the downtown common area, you can hear every time they go, when, you know, Tyrese Halliburton or some shit hits a three-pointer. Or Mo Harkless 
because Mo Harkless is getting minutes on the Sacramento Kings. Downtown Sacramento. We are live, ladies and gentlemen. Let's roll. Ten minutes till tip, baby. One day I wish to have the irrational confidence of the people willing to ride bird scooters right up to the stadium with 5,000 people trying to funnel in one door in gigantic lines that five months ago would have been a major COVID safety problem. One day I wish to have that level of confidence. They got the Ferris wheel lit up too. I've never seen the Ferris wheel lit up blue and green and red. Been here dozens of times, but it's never been lit up before. So that's a special thing. Special indeed. Good lord, this is chaotic. I have never seen the Golden One this pack because I went to a game when they were like 28 and 40. It's so exciting right now. This is one of my rules for showing up to a game is if you show up an hour early, you don't have to wait in lines. Sure, you're just sitting inside and watching some okay warm-up shots and trying to figure out whether DeLon Wright has anything special, but even still, I hate waiting in lines. It's a weird pet peeve, but this kind of is. So, show up early. You don't gotta mash it up with 20,000 people trying to show their COVID vaccine cards that may or may not be photoshopped. 16 seconds left. Brooklyn... Sixers. Sixers got the ball. You know it's been a long decade in Sacramento when you see a 60-year-old white man wearing a Vince Carter Kings jersey. I think he played like one season for Sacramento. Also got someone with blue hair wearing an orange Bengals AJ Green jersey in the middle of northern slash central California. Just noteworthy. Three minutes from game time. All right, Utah, 10. Sacramento, 10. Bang. Who was that? Oh, Halliburton, all right. Halliburton getting rolling early. All right, Sacramento. Wonder if people here would take Ben Simmons at this point. Cause I know like the standard sports fan thing, we kinda talked about that a little bit on the pod, is to be pro management in this case, but I wonder if they would want Ben Simmons given that there's a lot of like Buddy Heald and Chris Weber and Mitch Richmond jerseys out here. Thinking maybe maybe they would like Ben Simmons. If you can give up Buddy Heald and Harrison Barnes, maybe Maxi goes the other way. What was the trade that we proposed? We had a trade option out here on... Oh, Bucket. Is that Buddy? Yeah, Buddy healed. Nice little Bucket there. What was the trade option we had out here? So we had... And this one was good on the NBA trade machine. We had Ben Simmons for... Ben Simmons and Tyrese Maxey for Buddy Heald, Harrison Barnes... 2022 first top four protected so like just in case they get super lucky in the lottery you got to protect that pick and then throw in a second round pick i think it's from like portland or something like that but still just a little bonus piece there is ben simmons what was the recent thing he's he's walked away from the team oh utah shooting free throws for that yeah he's shooting free throws on that one but anyways yeah utah oh there you go sacramento 14-12, let's go, and three-pointer, Joe Ingles, bang. Does your therapy consist of a healthy amount of Joe Ingles? Because Morgan from Australia's does. Yeah, I wonder if they would want him at this point. feel like it's a go-to. All right, we're wandering around downtown Sacramento now. We're kind of just working the perimeter of the stadium. You might be hearing the security people yelling in the background here, but... We're working our way around the stadium. They're in a timeout. Can see right through to the concession stand because there's just fun glass all over the place. Can see people at bars on the third deck because we're technically on the third deck now. We're hanging out up here in the Doco second floor. 
You can see people watching the World Series or the ALCS at a Kings game that they probably paid $120 for, plus $40 on beer, plus parking. That might be a fun thing we find out later, is I tried to risk it no biscuit, not pay for parking on the meter thing. So maybe when we get back, we'll find out that I uh, I parked too close to the stadium. I tried to park far away so we could hike across the bridge and they wouldn't check the, the toll, but we might have a nice little $20 fine coming our way on the way out. Update to come. Oh, someone's not happy. Oh, it's Marvin Bagley. Oh, he hit an emphatic putback. Flexing on him. wonder if he got shoved on that play. Yeah, he did. How about that, Marvin Bagley? Way to get yourself back in the lineup. Way to outduel Alex Len and Rashawn Holmes for starting job. Remember, that man was drafted ahead of Luka Doncic and Trey Young and now can't get minutes over Rashawn Holmes and Alex Len. But congratulations, cut the deficit to three. All right, end of the first quarter, Utah by five. We'll roll back around around halftime, and then we'll catch maybe the, the that point we'll move around. But let's work our way down towards Old Town, Sacramento, hang out by the riverfront, because this is an experience, right? we just hanging out downtown Sacramento taking the tour of the place i kind of know it like the back of my hand now because this is like my pandemic safe haven so we know this place well at this point so let's give y'all the quick little tour through old town sack here in the second quarter ah old town sacramento the best place to eat round table pizza in a building that looks like it was built in the 1800s fun fact by the way there is one candy, ice cream, or jelly bean shop. Actually, let's throw taffy in the mix, too. Candy, ice cream, taffy, or jelly bean spot. Every five buildings here only in Old Town, Sacramento. So we are hanging out in, uh, I guess, my favorite spot to hang out is with a Sacramento Sweets Ice Cream Cone. Shout out to them. They're right along the riverfront here. So if you're ever in Old Town, Sacramento, stop by there for the 20 people who none of which I think live in Sacramento, but you should absolutely check it out if you're ever here. We are chilling with our ice cream, looking out over the river. There's a giant boat that's like part restaurant, part hotel. It's kind of parked in the riverfront. It's a old-timey feel of Old Town Sacramento. It's an old tugboat that I assume is used to be like one of these Titanic-type boats that would travel around in the 1900s up and down the river. People could take, like, uh, vacations on it, and now it's kind of parked in the harbor, but I just like to look out, watch the, the river flow across. Tonight it's in the dark, so we get that nice, brisk breeze. This is just a little bit of a, a safe haven here. I'm welcoming you guys into my my safe zone, or shall we say, my uh, my little safe space. Because during the pandemic, this was a great reprieve. Was you know, ten plus mile bike rides went both ways to get to Sacramento. Come here, grab ice cream, just sit, think, journal, maybe listen to a podcast, grab some inspiration. Like this was a this was a long part of my life and you know figuring out life outside of being at home and growing up and you know having a fun podcast like this I guess is kind of journaling what I would do normally so it helps you process your thoughts a little bit and this is a fun Friday night and <laughs> we get to hang out here and just record podcasts by myself and introspection and all that fun stuff it's it's good to be back good to be back because it, it's been a while since I've come and hung out here I'm really just taking a deep breath introspection done a little therapy bench stuff I mean we used to do that early early when we were really battling with the depression and the sads I don't ever want to say depression like it it feels like something that was depressed depression but I don't think I've ever really been that low at a certain point I don't think think it would be to underestimate because I'm generally of good mental health but even still like we did the therapy benches on the old podcast and this is a good place to kind of hang out relax get your thoughts together on a wonderful night it's fun to be able to just drive and 
hang out and <laughs> smile at sports. It's weird how sports make you feel that way sometimes. Sports just standing outside an arena and calling Mike Conley shots and laughing at Terrence Davis and all that stuff. It's weird how much joy that gives me. I th- I'm thinking about like how my formative years shaped the person I am now and why I still love sports and the new way that I love sports as a commentator and how my life changed around that. I think about that, I guess, pretty often and then turn it into podcast content. It's a good waffle cone. little ASMR action for y'all. But it's interesting. It's interesting how I got to this point. This Northern California, a man among, I guess a boy among men, theoretically, but just wandering the world... Just watching the water flow across. It's interesting how we get to this point, huh? And maybe this is weird introspection, and maybe this is being tired, and maybe this is just selling content to be like, hey, this is my safe space. But even still, I feel like it's it's weird how I got to this point and how things out of our control like a global pandemic can lead to fun things like going on long bike rides to Sacramento and driving out to Sacramento and caring about Kings basketball in a weird way because it's the one professional sports team around me for someone who's obsessed with professional sports and goes to a school that is like a D1B school so doesn't really have tons of sports. Maybe that's part of the balance I needed in my life. Maybe my priorities shifted. Who knows? And I know this podcast is never going to make all my dreams come true. It's just not really feasible at this point. We've only got 50,000 followers on Instagram and those people are there for a different type of content, but the loyalists have come here and really love what we do if you listen as consistently or less consistently than most people. But all of you listening, like, you're really making my dreams come true. We're going to get there eventually. I know we're going to get there. Uh, to whatever there may be, I don't know, but it's going to be something that brings joy. There's got, There's got to be some kind of faith. There's faith at the other end of this spectrum that... 1,000 plus hours of podcasts are all going to come through and producing podcasts and taking jobs and waking up at 5.30. Like, all of this is going to work out. I'm having fun doing it right now. I'd do it for the rates we're doing it like this for as long as I'd need. But I'd also like to not have to use this degree that I'm getting right now. So... Let's make it the best it can be, I guess. That's kind of like my mindset going in. So you guys, like, we make two cents for every download on this podcast, but you guys are, like, making my dreams come true. Thanks to everyone who's been sticking with us thick and thin, and thanks to the people who give their time and effort and energy to all this. This extends to all of you Instagram people. You know, shout out to all of you for everything that you guys have helped us build so far. Because that's kind of the platform that we build everything else off of. And if it disappeared tomorrow, maybe I'd go do something else. But I still love it. Which is weird. Because nothing else in my life, from where I live, to what I do on off the podcast, and hang out Friday nights hanging around the Kings games in the middle of an ALCS and talk about that here on the podcast. By the way, still 2-0. Like, all of that suggests that I'm just a crazy person who maybe would defer from sports a little bit. But some reason it's ingrained in me it ain't going away anytime soon and it's kind of just a weird love affair at this point i say as i cross the street over here like all of this is super weird and fun and you guys have helped make this dream come true a little bit so didn't mean to get super introspective here tonight that we can make jokes about how harrison barnes has 12 points as the kings get smacked by the utah jazz who probably like the fifth or sixth best team in the western conference but still one game samples don't really matter that much except when we know the sacramento kings are not good enough because terrence davis and harrison barnes are giving them a lot of points but even still Maybe who felt a little introspection here on a Friday night that you may be listening to on a Sunday or a Monday or whatever. But the end of a long week, the end of a fun week with lots of great podcasts in the middle of a football week, and before we get back on the grind in a few days, just want to say thanks. Thanks to all of you. You guys are making these dreams come true one step at a time for this little 20-year-old wandering across Sacramento, thinking about his place in the world. You guys are helping make that all come true. So thanks again. Love each and every one of you. Uh, Live from Sacramento. I love when reporters say this. Live on scene from Sacramento.
My name is Kyle. Take it easy. Ha <laughs> Suck it, Sacramento City Council. Suck it, City of Sacramento Enforcement Agency. You did not get me on a parking ticket tonight. Take this L. I just saved $2.47 on parking. Yes, we could have risked a $25 fine, but you know what? We're going to take that risk 10 times out of 10. We are living on the edge here, live in our reporting from Sacramento, California. Let's go. Just living dangerously out here. I hope everyone enjoyed that content and that I'm not afraid to share vulnerabilities on the air to you guys, which is sometimes a problem, but I'm not super famous, so it's not really a a big deal as a Gru from... I can do a better Gru impression. A big deal, as Steve Carell says as Gru in Despicable Me. It's not a big deal. All right, so we've got our picks for the week here on the podcast, and uh, our current standings are now basically all tied up. So our boy DSD went one and four last week. Uh, Stripe Hype went four and one. I went three and two, and Walter Mitchell went three and two. So Walter and I are a game and a half back of Cam. Stripe Hype is uh, half game back. So because of the one tie. Stripe Hype is a half game back, and me and Walter are one and a half back, so it's anyone's game at this point in the pick'em pool. And where I want to start off this week with a little bit of an NFL preview is by talking about the Lions and Rams revenge game, because I find this interesting because revenge games as a whole can be kind of interesting. It was actually, we talk about it before on the podcast, like the moment I realized regular season basketball doesn't matter was when I was analyzing a Chris Stapp's Porzingis New York Knicks revenge game as like the day's content. But even still, I want to talk about revenge games because we haven't seen a trade quite like the Goff Stafford trade in NFL history. You know, the closest example we have to it is Jay Cutler being traded for Kyle Orton and two first round picks, which is technically the same format of a trade, like what the Goffords, Goff for Stafford, almost called him Gofford for a second there, the Gofford trade, uh, I like that better actually now that I say it out loud, the Gofford trade, which was Stafford for Goff and two first round picks, that's the closest format that we have, and so the fact that the Rams have that dominant of a defense where they can immediately make an impact, and yes, Chicago made the NFC Championship with Jay Cutler, but it was a weird fluky one, and the Packers ended up whooping up on them real good, but even still, and was it all Jay Cutler? Probably not. I mean, I don't know if everything is Matt Stafford on this case, but even still, it feels like the Rams have been really successful. The Lions have pooped all the way out, and we haven't seen a revenge game like this where it's not necessarily Stafford wanting the revenge on the Lions because it's worked out tremendously well for Stafford. It's not like he's irked because the Lions ended up moving on. It was one of these rare, like, beloved relationships where the Lions took care of Matthew Stafford and sent him to the place he wanted to go and still got a pretty good offer out of it because they were working closely with McVay. Now, did the Lions do the same for their black superstar players? No, they forced them into retirement and battle them over a couple million dollars. But even still, the Detroit Lions made that move and it doesn't feel like there's animosity there with Stafford. Now, Goff, on the other hand, Goff does have the problem and therefore if you're looking for which direction the revenge game is going as some people were mentioning over on comical sports find the flow of who would want revenge as like an angry emotion and that is definitely jared goff we talked about the reporting done by espn back on a march podcast which we can't play all of here but again i'll try and uh give you the link or the date to that podcast If you go back to March 25th, 2021, we did a great podcast with ESPN reporting done on the fallout of the Goff-McVay relationship where Goff never developed and McVay got so frustrated that eventually they just stopped talking during the year. And we found out this week that McVay didn't call Goff to explain the trade to him. He kind of found out on Twitter while McVay was in Cabo with Matthew Stafford 
And by the way, I think Matthew Stafford and Sean McVay are the same age. I think that's a real thing that exists right now. Matthew Stafford is younger than Sean McVay, but still 33 to 35 is not a significant difference between the two of them. And Matthew Stafford finds himself in a weird position because he is kind of the mediator in between like the new I mean it's like if you want to play it like relationships it's like the new person in between the two people who have hostilities towards each other I don't think it's going to be weird for Stafford especially because the Rams come in just one of the best teams in the NFL while the Lions although we say they're the best worst team in the NFL, or I'm sorry, the best bad team in the NFL. The Detroit Lions are really bad relative to the Rams. It's a 16-point spread, and I'm breaking the rules of the game not only by betting on revenge games, but also by betting a Detroit Lions game, because one of the rules of the pod is that we never, ever, under any circumstances, bet Detroit Lions or Atlanta Falcons football, unless you're our boy Cam, who bets the Falcons every week and either wins betting the Falcons or loses, or I'm sorry, wins betting the Falcons or wins betting against the Falcons. He's 3-0 and this year betting Falcons games, and I think the reason he went 1-4 and last week was because he didn't get the easy Falcons win this week. So, never bet Lions, never bet Falcons, but I am breaking that rule this week because I am taking the Detroit Lions to cover the 16-point spread against the Los Angeles Rams. That's my first pick. The other one I'm going the other way with is I'm betting with the Sharps, and I'm taking the New York Jets plus seven against the New England Patriots this week. We are going directly against our boy Stripe Hype, and as you'll find out in a bit, our boy DSD. So I got the Jets minus or Jets plus seven. I've got Lions plus sixteen. I've got Colts plus four against the 49ers this week. I will take the Seahawks and Geno Smith plus four and a half against the Saints on Monday night football, which is a contrarian to both Blake Jude and DSD as well. And finally, I have Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs. Minus five against the Tennessee Titans and Derrick Henry, which is basically just a fantasy football game for me because I have Patrick Mahomes and Derrick Henry on my fantasy team. So here are the rest of the picks for the week. I could play Walter's audio here, but I'm just gonna royal. I'm, I'm just gonna run them off real quick here to finish off the pod because we've been going for a few good segments here, and let's just roll on to the end. So we've got, and it's a week witching hour this weekend. The afternoon is all blowouts, which is unbelievably remarkable. But even still, so Blake Jude from Thurs from the Stripe Hype Friday had Miami Dolphins. Minus two against the Atlanta, or sorry, plus two against the Atlanta Falcons. Had the New England Patriots uh, at m- minus seven, Saints minus four, Cardinals minus 18, and Raiders uh, over the Eagles minus four. Your boy DSD has minus seven New England Patriots. Plus four Philadelphia Eagles. So we have him and Blake going head to head. Him and Blake also have the Saints. Him, He is taking the Houston Texans at plus 18 against the Cardinals. So that's a direct against our boy Blake Jude. And the Atlanta Falcons. So he's going... I think they picked the same games, yeah? Yeah, they did all pick the same games. That's just a weird chance on that one. But we have... Two going with each other in Saints and Patriots, and then three direct head-to-heads with Eagles and Texans and the Falcons-Dolphins game. What an interesting finish there. Me and me and Cam on different on the same wavelength because I asked Blake the games, and then he got to pick his games for the week. So we are working on the same wavelength. And then Walter Mitchell. Actually, now that I think about it, what are the odds? If everything's totally random, what are the odds that that would happen? It's got to be super small. What? F- yeah, I mean, I'm trying to do quick math here. It's not working, but that's got to be really crazy that we would pick the same five games out of a pool of seven, which is quite interesting. So anyways, Walter this week, while sitting tied for last place with myself, but only a game and a half back, so he could be in first place at the end of the week, has the Carolina Panthers minus three against the Giants. Baltimore Ravens minus seven against the Cincinnati Bengals. Packers uh, minus eight and a half against Washington. 
Colts, like myself, plus four and a half against the 49ers. We're picking the same, and we are both rolling with the Detroit Lions, the only winless team in the NFL, even though I would attest that they are still better than the Texans and Jaguars and maybe the Philadelphia Eagles as well. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for stopping in to Wired Up episode 91. We got NFL Monday coming up tomorrow. We got Memes of the Weekend coming up tomorrow. It is our double pod. Make sure to download because the month is coming towards an emphatic close with Halloween a week from today. So get those downloads in and those five-star reviews before the month expires so that we can sell that to advertisers and you can help fund the dreams that we were talking about over in Sacramento on Friday night. Didn't mean to shamelessly plug or sell your emotions out, but nah, the, the selling out emotions part I have less of a problem with. But still, thank you all for your support. I love each and every one of you. We'll talk to you again tomorrow for another amazing week of podcasts here on Take It Easy. And since I know the Lions are going to get crushed, let's play their magical theme music, courtesy of The Motley Crew.